I don't think I've ever survived preaching for 50 minutes, so it would be a miracle if I uh, managed it tonight, but you'd be glad to know I have no intention of, so something odd is happening if I go on longer uh, than planned. But I want to talk to you about this passage, and there are two real distinct halves to it. There's the first half, the sending out of the 12 that we're all really familiar with, and then there's this bit at the end tagged on about Herod. Uh, And when I think about Herod, I think of my old boss. He wasn't that bad. Uh, but he, he had a bit of a thing about Herod. And I remembered a story about him. He came to faith when he was 16. Uh, he went to a youth group, found out about Jesus, decided that's who he wanted to follow, and that was all lovely and good. Uh, but he was surrounded by people who'd known about Jesus for a long time, and so he decided that he wanted to learn a bit more. And the thing about my boss was he wasn't your typical Christian. He was a black belt in karate and judo. That was the thing he was really good at. He loved it. Uh, he hated singing. He hated music. He, I could imagine if he was stood next to me right now that um, as delightful as the musicians were tonight, he would be pacing the floor wanting them to stop because uh, he hates to sing. He absolutely hates to sing. And he married a worship leader, which I just think is God's sense of humor. Uh, But he had this whole thing that he wanted to go and learn more about God. So he decided that he would apply to do a gap year. And his conditions to God about this gap year was that he was prepared to go anywhere. He was more than happy to go anywhere that God would call him, except Northern Ireland. That was the one place. And it was the time when lots of things were happening over there. It wasn't the easiest place to be. And he said, God, I will go anywhere Send me to Africa, send me to South America, send me to Scotland, but do not send me to Northern Ireland. And he lived in Reading, that's where he'd grown up. Uh, He was a proper southerner. And so he he filled in all the forms to the organisation, and he could have been sent anywhere in the world. Now, this is before Google was quite as easy to use as we all know it. And he's very clever. He has now an MA from Cambridge in chemistry, as well as a theology degree, so he's not thick. But let's say that geography is not his strong point, as you're about to find out. So the letter came saying, dear Brett, we're delighted to accept you on this gap year. You'll be delighted to know that we've placed you in this church, St. Mary's, in County Durham. And the thing was, the only counties that he'd ever heard of were in Northern Ireland, County Antrim, County Armagh. So he was utterly convinced that God had sent him to Northern Ireland. And he spent a month not telling anyone that he'd got this place. He went round and people kept asking about it. He went, oh no, I haven't heard. I haven't heard at all, knowing that he had this letter. And so this continued for a month until his youth leader sat him down and went, everyone else I know who's applied has heard where they're going. And there's no reason why you shouldn't get on this gap year. And he cried and he presented this letter to his youth leader that said he was going to County Durham. And he sat there going, I don't understand what's so bad about County Durham. And he went, but it's in Northern Ireland. (laughs) And his youth leader went, no, (laughs) it's in the north of England, but it's not in Northern Ireland. And he went, it is everywhere in Northern Ireland has county in front of the name. And so it went on and on and on. And his youth leader had to go and get the map, the AA map out of the car and prove to him that County Durham was not in Northern Ireland. And so he spent all of this time getting worked up and worked up. And God had not sent him to the place that he feared the most. He sent him to very nice places where he met his wife. It was all lovely. It all worked out fine. 
But we have this sense when God calls us to places that God will send us to the place we least like to go. Now, that might not be for Northern Ireland. It might be for you. County Durham is the worst place in the world. I can recommend it's not. It's a lovely place. But sometimes we work out in our head our conditions of where God will send us to and where we're prepared to go. What other places, if God said, I want you to go here, you'd go no. God sends these 12 disciples out. And he sends them out to the villages and towns around them. But they're sent with really little direction. They are not given a sat-nav of how to get to the next town. They're not given the names of the towns that they're meant to visit. They're not given the instructions of what to do on arrival. Here is your itinerary, 62 points from when you arrive. They are literally just sent out. For lots of us, we long for God to call us to something specific. We long for God to say to us, actually, what I want you to do is this. I want you to go here and do this. I want you to have this ministry, and it'll be this, this, and this, and we have a wonderful list of what we might want God to call us to do or what we might not want him to do. But in this passage, we're reminded that God just sends the disciples out. Not with a direction, not with a list of places to visit, and not with a really specific ministry task. They're sent out. I'm just going to read the first few verses that Lucy read uh, again. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. It's no small task that they're sent on. But they're not sent to build a hospital. They're not sent to preach uh, in the temples and synagogues. They're just sent out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Sometimes we're so frustrated that we haven't received a really specific call on our lives. And there's nothing wrong with longing for that. But God calls all of us out. We have this shared sense of call. And that is no less than the people who receive a really specific call on their lives. They're sent out. So they don't get instructions on, what to, on the places to go or the specifics of what to do. But God goes on to give them a handful of instructions. He taught them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. They're told to take nothing. That, for me, would be the worst thing in the world. I like to over-prepare. Brett, the boss I talked about, he is Mr. Last Minute. We used to have an 8 o'clock service. Uh, I would start the service at 8 o'clock. If Brett arrived by 20 past 8, that was a good Sunday morning. He was never on time, and he never understood why I liked to plan. When I arrived at Fatfields, there were no church rotors. Now, some of you might rejoice with a hallelujah at the thought of no church rotors, but I can tell you, it's hellish. 
it was not unusual for me to turn up on a Sunday and sit in the front row and he'd go, do you fancy preaching today? No, Brett, is the answer. He was utterly last minute. He never understood what it was to plan. I like to over-plan and over-prepare. If I am running a camp, I will hire a van twice the size of what I need just to put stuff in, just in case. You never know when a box of tea lights, a box of pebbles, six foot of fabric may come in useful. I like to take everything just in case. So if something happens, there is something that I can do about it. It's amazing how many things you can plan with pebbles and tea lights. But Jesus says to the disciples, take nothing. They weren't to be like the other teachers who were going around looking at all of their stuff saying, look at how successful our ministry is. We've arrived in the finest tunics. We come with the best stick for walking. Our sandals are the best sandals in the world. He didn't want it to be about the stuff that they carried. He wanted them to go. To not go home and pack for a 60-day expedition with a tick list, but just to go. To rely on what he'd given them. In those first few verses, it says he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure all diseases. So they were sent They were all sent out. They were sent out with nothing. And they were sent to a place that they didn't know. And they went. So the disciples are obedient. They go. They follow this commandment to go with little knowledge of what might happen. They're told not to take anything, so we assume they followed those instructions. But the only other thing that Jesus says to them is, well, if you're not made welcome... Here's some instructions. It's not Jesus' most encouraging passage. Here's what to do when it all goes wonderfully, is not what he says. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. Okay, so people might not like it when we arrive. Great, how exciting is this adventure, Jesus? Is not what they said. They sat there, they went, they took nothing and they might not have been welcomed. When we're called out, when we remember that our call is to serve God out in the world, we go with what we're given. We don't worry about what we haven't got, what we might have left at some point in the past. We go with what we're given. Jesus gave them power and authority. What has God given you for your call and your mission? If you are waiting for some specific call, great, keep waiting, but don't not go because you haven't felt that this is the specific sentence, the specific place, the specific time, the specific people group. God just says, go. Preach the kingdom, heal the sick. Take nothing. And if people don't welcome you, walk away. For some of us, it's really difficult when we go places and we don't have that instant feeling where actually it's all wonderful and, you know, 25 people came to Jesus on the first 10 minutes. I have never, ever had that. It is a joy when I hear it happen, but for most of us, ministry is a long slog. It is about going where God calls us and doing what he calls us to do. Now, Jesus reminds us sometimes we will not be welcome and we leave. 
it does not say then we slate the town we went to, we tell the next village how awful they were and will you be a bit nicer to us. We just walk away. But it doesn't mean if we get there and it's a bit difficult and we don't see those instant results that we long for, that we leave. If we're not welcome, God says move on. For some of us, we're desperate to get to the new thing. And I'm one of those people. I love to do something new. I'm never great at finishing a project. There are so many to-do lists left on my desk that are unfinished. You wouldn't believe. But actually, God says, go, do this. He only says, leave if you're not welcome. Not if it's difficult. Not if it's not quite how you imagined it. Not if suddenly your ministry takes off and you're making the main stage somewhere. God just says, if you're not made welcome, leave. Otherwise, keep being sent. Keep being sent to this place and listen out for when it's time to move to the next village. All of the disciples went. Not just his favorite few, not just the ones who had the best skills, not just the ones who seemed like they'd finally understood his mission. We know all the way through the Gospels, the disciples continue to wonderfully muck it up for the rest of us, to reassure us that actually, you know what, sometimes we get it wrong. But they went. They didn't wait for a specific place, a specific time, a specific people. They went because God called them out. It wasn't about how long they were there for. It was about the fact they went and they relied on God. They get there and it seems like everything went well. Despite the fact that Jesus warned them what to do, if it didn't go well, it seems that it went okay. So they set out and went from village to village preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. If only all our stories ended so well. But they go and it works. And then we have these few verses just at the end from verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. The disciples went. They followed this instruction to go and preach the kingdom and to heal the sick. They went to the villages that they found themselves in without this specific call. None of them, when they sat out on that mission, I thought, would sit there and think, you know what, Herod might hear about this. Herod might consider that this is a thing that actually he might want to be involved in. Herod, this baddie in all of our stories that we know uh, from Scripture, is not a person to hang around. He's beheaded John the Baptist. He doesn't seem to be particularly a friendly person to hang about with. And so what happens is Herod hears. And we have this little caveat that says, and he tried to see them. None of the disciples would have been prepared for that to be the reaction, that to be the thing that affected what went on. They went out, they did what they were called to do, with very little knowledge of what that was. And the repercussion was that Herod heard, and Herod responded. They couldn't have imagined that that's what was going to happen. It wasn't on the cards, it wasn't what they'd planned for. And that, that was part of the ripple of the effect of them going. When we're called to go somewhere, 
sometimes we struggle with what the effects might be. We all want the first part of the end of the story. We want this, so they went out and went from village to village preaching the gospel and hearing, healing people everywhere. That's the story we want to hear. We don't want to hear that someone who we know is not great gets a bit interested and that's a bit worrying for the rest of us. None of us get to control where the story ends. We get sent, we follow. We remember that we're called to do God's ministry in this place. And we do not worry about the reactions of others. If they do not welcome us, we shake all the dust off our feet and we walk away. If they try and see us and don't, there is nothing we can do. But God calls all of us. Tonight, if you are waiting for God to speak to you specifically about what he calls you to do, by all means ask, but do not think that he hasn't already said. We remember that our call is to live as kingdom people to go and share the good news, to baptize new believers and to disciple them, to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. Those words of Micah that we used in our confession earlier. That call is just as valid and even more important than anyone who says, this is my specific call. That is great and we give thanks for it. But this call to love God, to serve him, and to go and preach the kingdom of God wherever we find ourselves is vital for us as a church to know that this is valid. No one can sit here and say that God has not called us to his mission, that we do not know what our ministry is. This is our ministry, to go and preach the kingdom. This is an important call. A one that's difficult because sometimes we'd rather have a specific because then it's really easy to know whether we've done it or not. But God calls us to go and to be. We've talked a little about the hot house. Uh, there's lots of different groups that meet there. I make no bones that I have a favorite group. I won't tell you which one it is. Uh, but I do. I have a favorite. We're not meant to, but we do. Uh, and I love it. And the reason I love it is because they're really honest. If you walk in and they've had a really rubbish day, they all tell you within 10 seconds of them walking in. And it can be really hard, because if they've had a rubbish day, they will absolutely tell you about it, and you'll know about it for the whole hour and a half. And it's hard. But what I love about it is that they will ask about God in that group, that they feel comfortable to be in a place and we tried to make a program of how we would talk about God in this group over this year. And it's going fine. You know, we're doing some stuff, we've got some questions, it's all lovely, it's great. Actually, in reality, it's not going very well. It's going quite awfully. The questions are really awkward. <laughs> There's that really awful moment of silence where you ask a question and everyone looks at the floor. And you think, okay, how long do I wait? before I ask a question. But what I love about it is as much as we've tried this program, the God talk is happening when we eat toast half an hour earlier. It's happening because we've been there and we're sitting with them. We will relook at how we do the stuff bit at some point. But it's the fact that we're called to preach the gospel in that place. 
And yet we'll do it with a program and we'll do our best and we will change it to make it better every time. But actually, it's about that call to go. We talk about God calling him, us, us to him all the time. And that is important. God calls us to him. But he calls us to go. The disciples went. And we're called to go to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you call all of us. Father, that the call to your church is one that we all share. Father, help us to be people who go and preach the kingdom, who bring healing to the sick, who are not scared to leave everything behind and to go with what you've given us. Help us to sow generously, to not be worried where the ripples might affect, but to know your love as we're obedient to your call as your people.